the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. We're glad that you've tuned in to this podcast, and I am Dennis Thurman, who will be hosting uh, the August Persons in This Room, Benjamin Kerfman, Terry Hollifield, and Adam Black. And so what we want to do in this podcast is we're going to have a discussion first, hopefully give you some really practical help in how to apply those things, and then uh, we'll finish up today with current news event that touches upon the church. Stay tuned for that. Right now, I am a referee for this battle royale. (laughs) It's about to begin. In one corner, we have Terry Hollifield, who will advocate for the missional church model. In the other corner, we have Adam Black, who will take a stand for the attractional model of ministry. Amen. And then, outside the ring, the master of disaster, (laughs) Benjamin Kerfman, who will jump in at any time to unleash a barrage of biblical beatdowns of epic proportion. So, which one is biblical? The most biblical, the attractional or the missional model? So, since uh, A begins before M... I'm going to start with Mr. Adam Black and tell us why you're convinced that the attractional model is the way to go. Let's define them first. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Man, after such a great introduction. (laughs) That was great. That was really good. He's already jumped in the ring. That was really good. So that would be... I'm just saying we got to break it down. Because if you listen to Emily Stanley, you don't know what mission is. So, I... I attractional Adam will define attractional. And uh, then Terry will define missional, and then we'll have the fight uh, with Benjamin interjecting things along the way. Adam? Well, I would define attractional as creating an environment that people feel welcome to, and that is hospitable, that um, people uh, enjoy coming to. Um, and let me let me say that I don't believe this is a either or situation. I, I think I think you should do both. Um, so uh, that's kind of my view. But the, the attractional, I think the side that I would say that I would be against is, you know, that the gospel needs to be the center of all that you do. So if you're, you know, doing a three ring circus. Wait, you said you'd be <clears throat> against the idea that the gospel is... is no, 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 I'm sorry. I would be against something that the gospel isn't the yeah, center Yeah, I didn't think of. you meant yeah, that. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So the gospel has to be the center of all that we do as a church. I mean, that's a, a prerequisite in my book. Um, but uh, as I often say, is, and I've heard before, is people who say, well, I'm not attractional, so the opposite of attractional is unattractive and no one does that so um some people do it we want to have a church we want to have a church that the music's terrible the preaching's terrible we want it to look like it's you know the building's falling down (laughs) everyone's unfriendly you know so we'll call that the repellent church we feel like if we decrease so so let's so let me see if we can summarize this up so uh, are you saying that you're going to evangelize you're going to reach out to people by marketing to them in a sense to get them to come to you uh you're going to have events you're going to have worship gatherings that appeal to maybe a particular demographic 
that you're trying to reach with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, you would so. you would want people to come and you want to go as well. But I want to give Terry a shot at defining uh, missional. The primary evangelism uh, mode, if you will, um, of the church would be that every member is a missionary, that we see ourselves as uh, ambassadors of Jesus, that as we, um, we feel that we have been given the, the ministry of reconciliation, and so we take that word to uh, folks. So like Adam, I think that we also would want to be attractive uh, to folks, and I am I'm one. I'm someone who believes that, of course, worship uh, on Sunday mornings, whenever you have your service, worship is something that Christians do. Uh, but I, I also think that there's something um, within humanity that when they see other people worshiping God, um, I think there's something in that um, that appeals to the image of God in a lost person. From the attractional standpoint. You're looking at building relationships. You're investing and inviting people. I don't know if you ever heard that expression before. <clears throat> invest and invite. I think that's an Andy Stanley uh, thing. But but uh, Amen. But, but relating. By the way, let me say you'll hear us say some things about Andy Stanley. And we don't hate but, him, but very little. But, no, but, we we, we love his theology and his ideas. all of us. Adam Adam is a is a big uh, fan of Andy Stanley, and he's the only one among the, the four horsemen uh, that that is. So if you hear that, it, it is in good fun toward Adam. So yes, just, yes, we're just sort of picking on him. <laughs> now let's really throw something in, uh, you know, a wrench into the thing. Uh, I have a suspicion that Mr. Kerfman would say that our worship gatherings are not meant for evangelism. Would that be accurate, or have I mischaracterized you? That would be accurate. Okay. So, so explain. I think that it is confusing the identity of the church and the mission of the church. And what I mean by that is this. I think that probably all of us would agree that the identity of the church is Christians. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. One would hope so. Uh, in the biblical sense, is the people of God. Um, and so you, the way that we use church in the South, we're talking about usually a building or a yes. meeting. But we, most Christians even now understand that in the Bible, when it's referring to the church, it's talking about the gathering of believers. Correct. So identity-wise, we would all agree that uh, if someone is in the church, not a member of a church, but as far as God's concerned, if they are in the church, it's somebody that's born again. That's how you join the church is that you're born again. And you may join a church through a membership process or a baptism or something like that. So we would agree on the identity. I think we would also agree on the mission of the church, which the mission of the church is the Great Commission. It's going and making disciples baptizing people and instructing them in everything that Jesus taught. So we would agree on the identity of the church and we would agree on the mission of the church. The problem that I have with attractional ministry is I think that it, it blurs the line between those two things. Because when you go to an attractional church on Sunday morning, what, what you're seeing is, is you're seeing a church try to accomplish its mission in the context of its identity. The Great Commission is specifically go out, right? So it's saying, you are a called people of God that's set apart from the world. I am sending you into the world, and that's your mission, is to go into the world and reach the lost. With an attractional ministry, what you're saying is, some of you are the called out, some of you are the church, 
but we're bringing people we're bringing people in and we're trying to do the mission inside of the church instead of sending the church out to do the mission in the world. And fundamentally that's that's where I have an issue with attractional ministry. Now, Adam has made the point before that every church is attractional because you're doing something to get people in. Obviously, you're, most churches are not trying to be intentionally horrible at what they're doing. My argument would be if the church is gathering for the purpose of the church, which is worship, not necessarily the mission, we would agree the mission is evangelism, but the gathering on Sunday morning is for the purpose of worship. If that's the case, then what you're attracting are Christians. So what are Christians attracted to? Well, they're attracted to the things that Jesus is attracted to. What is Jesus attracted to? He's attracted to when his word is faithfully preached. Lost people. Um, Jesus is attracted to lost people. He is. But the question is, <laughs> but I'm talking about in the context. Well, the son of man has come to seek and to save, save that which is lost. But I'm talking about in the context of worship. Right. Okay. So, and again, and this ties in with another subject. When you look at the Old Testament and the connection with the Old Testament, if you view those in, in the same sense and you don't disconnect the Old Testament, you have to look at, okay, what is the picture that we see of Old Testament worship? And then how are we reflecting that in the New Testament? Obviously, there's some differences there, but there's also some similarities. And you look at in Acts, for instance, when they accused Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple and they tried to kill him, they weren't really keen on people that were not a part of the worship of God being a part of the worship of God. Now, I'm not saying that that means we need to kick lost people out of church on Sunday morning. We can define the church as this, but on Sunday morning, true, false, are there lost people within our gatherings? Always. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, you're not going to bar people. You're not going to have, you know, because we don't know people's hearts. And so we obviously define the church as the people of God and, and those who are saved. But the gathering, there are lost people within the gathering. So what I would say is, why wouldn't you leverage the fact that you have lost people in your midst to preach the gospel and to see them come to know Christ? Because that is what reality is, is that there are lost people within the church. So if you try to say, well, we don't want, when I know you're not saying we don't want lost people in the church. Well, lost people aren't in the church. They aren't. They they aren't. They might but, be in a building, but in from a gathering standpoint, that's why I've heard some folks um, who would say their Sunday morning isn't quote unquote church. It is a is is a time in which people would gather and the gospel would be preached. And what they would define as church is more than their small groups. Well, I think all of us would. Uh, you can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong, Ben, but I would imagine you guys preach the gospel. In the church service, do you not? We preach the text. If it's if Jesus is in the text, we're preaching Jesus. I think the four of us would all say, preach the gospel Absolutely. in the church gathering. Absolutely, yeah. And there are lost people in the church gathering, and they need the gospel. And saved people need the gospel too, by the right. way. So, and there should, be, there should always be a call to respond for everybody. Yes. Whether that's responding for the first time in faith, or whether that's you've heard the gospel a million times. We should always be called to respond to God's sure. word, no matter who you well, are. Well, I think that's where my view of it and the thing that I've always tried to hold, especially being in ministry just a short period of time, is you know Jesus had three groups of people. Uh, he had the thousands, which was the crowds, and he would preach and do things with the crowds. And the relationship was, I mean, obviously Jesus knew their hearts, but the relationship with Jesus wasn't that close. But what happened each time he would do something, people would want to follow him. 
And so he would press them, you know, you know, I want to follow you. We'll let the dead bury their dead and that, that type of stuff. So he continued to press. So he had the thousands in which he tried to, you know, some people come to know him through that. And then you had the 12, which was his disciples that he, he poured into. And then he had his inner three. And so I think that's the goal of the church is, you know, to get the thousands to get lower and lower as far as deeper and deeper with their relationship with Jesus. And I think you see that, especially in Acts, you know. Um, you more saying people... we should be deep and wide? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good book. That's going to be in every single episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just too good. Though. Well, I noticed uh, that uh, Benjamin has opened his Bible, which is a good thing. I do own one. To first, to first Corinthians. It's the like standard version. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and what I would ask you, uh, Ben, is... Um, you know, where Paul specifically addresses the fact of in the worship, there's not to be chaos and pandemonium mm-hmm. because lost people that are there, the pagans, uh, are, are going to get the, not going to get the message clearly. That's what uh, I'm looking for right yes, now. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, apparently, even in the early church, uh, there were lost people that were there in the congregation that needed to hear the gospel, and so Paul's concerned about not having anything to hinder that that message, they didn't like turn them out, push them away. Now maybe when they had the Lord's Supper, maybe they would dismiss them. I don't know, but but anyway, they were present there for the for the preaching because that's when all the hubbub was taking place there in Corinth. First Corinthians uh, fourteen, starting in verse twenty, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written. Uh, notice that Paul uses the law. Um, that was his Bible. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, He is called to account by all, so the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So, usually when I make my argument, this is the passage that people try to come back, because it's clearly saying, well, what do you do with the lost person that comes into worship? And the answer is, if you are worshiping, it should cause that person to recognize their their sinful condition, and, and and hopefully your worship would be drawing them to Christ. But again... That doesn't mean that you're making the, the service is not for the unbeliever. The service is for God and the worship of God. So if they walk in and they witness the worship of God and that's compelling to them, well, let me push that's back different that than saying we want to structure the music and the aesthetics and everything else to try to persuade that person. Well, but but that's the opposite of what was just said in the text. He, he specifically said we are ordering and bringing order to the gathering of believers specifically because we want people to worship God. Well, what, he, what he's saying is, is different gifts have different purposes. So he's saying you so, don't speak tongues in worship because it's for unbelievers. It should happen outside the church. So he's saying there's certain things the church should do outside of the church. Well, he said not, not and everyone. And he's saying He didn't you say should you not, shouldn't have tongues in the church. He said not everyone should be speaking in tongues. He says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Correct. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. Correct. But the clarity of communication right. is is really at the heart of right. it. And so what's the message that you want to clearly communicate? You want to share the gospel. 
So, so the trick is, and we all agree that, like, like you said, Adam, no matter what the model is here, the agreement is that the gospel needs to be the centerpiece of whatever's happening on Sunday morning. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. The, the point that I'm making is that an unbeliever hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus on a Sunday morning should be a consequence of the worship of God, not the intention of the service. In addition to... The primary means that people should be reached should be in the community. Yeah, and I was, that's what I was going to say. You know, it, I, from a missional com, uh, standpoint, I would say that, uh, and from my experience as a, as a, a pastor, a uh, church planter in a missional kind of context, we would see fruit of sowing the seeds of the gospel and watering and uprooting weeds and, and doing those things outside of Sunday morning people getting saved in like at work or you know at, at your your cousin's house or, or, or whatever and then they would come in on Sunday mornings and and worship and sometimes they would wander in you know as, as lost folks but I think that it's a combination of uh, seeing true worship happen among the people of God on Sundays and um, us going out as uh, apprentices of Jesus and his ambassadors as we live and as we communicate the gospel to people. So I think one of the nuances that I, I think we get caught up on is what we're really talking about is our primary mode of evangelism. Uh, we all agree that the gospel should be preached in, in, on Sundays and that lost people are going to be there. I think there's a kind of an underlying thing. So you were talking about the method of evangelism, right? So, and, and this is where this is where people get freaked out and upset in the elephant room all the time, is why does everything have to be about soteriology? Well, part of the reason why we have different philosophies of ministry when it, when it comes to evangelism and when it comes to Sunday morning worship is because of our anthropology. Like, what do we believe about the, the condition of the men and women that we're trying to reach? So, for instance, I would not tailor anything to try to reach lost people on Sunday morning because my anthropology... The way that I view men is that they are inclined to hate God and everything about God. Or why would I bring somebody to church that hates God to a worship service for God? I mean, you don't think the image of God is, is erased from... That, it, that lost people don't bear the image of God. No, but I, but I, but I do think it's corrupted. and I think that, Without question. And I think that their minds are darkened. Right, but here, here it pushed back on that. Again, we can say... This is the theology, but true or false, a lost person can come into your church. Can be a lost person could come to our movie night and through that come to know Christ. The, right, and I, and we agree with could that. Could that happen? Oh, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. So that that's where we can sit here and say the theology is this. And I'm talking primarily about Sunday morning. Right. So for instance, like I'm not like anti, well, even Sunday like, morning. You can't have a so, BBS, You can't do anything. I'm not being like that. But even Sunday morning, though, is it so, possible yeah. that a lost person could come to your church? hear the gospel, and God saved them. There. Absolutely, but the difference is, is when I plan my service, how much of a factor is that? Okay, here's, here's what, let me ask you, let's take two examples. Let's take Cornelius, the God-fearer. Let's take the Ethiopian eunuch that is seeking the truth, okay? How does that fit into, you know, all the sinners hate God? Because obviously they weren't saved people, right? But there was a work going on in their heart, and so, so you're saying they were regenerated? No, I'm not saying they, they were. were they, uh, no, that's what I would say. Well, so that's so there's no there's no point preaching the gospel to them then if they were already well, regenerated. That's where I go oh, back you, to. We you could still say have to preach this. the gospel because they have to confess with their mouth. Right, but they needed to be. They needed but they've to be already saved. had faith. 
that you're saying they're saved before they they. No, I'm saying they're regenerated before they exercise faith. Tell me the difference between sa being saved and being regenerate. Re regenerate means that that you are spiritually alive. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know what they mean, but I right. mean, tell me how one can take place without the other. Faith is belief in the exercise of the will together. So I believe that someone actually, when they make a decision, as people would say it for the Lord, they are making a real decision. But they're only able to do that because they are spiritually alive. Their will is free at that point for them to do that. So they were, were regenerate prior to placing their faith in Jesus. Yes. Correct. That's so we're not saved by grace through faith. We're just saved by grace. No. We're saved by grace through faith, but you don't exercise your faith if you're spiritually dead. So, that, and that's where I'm asking, tell me the difference. Tell me how somebody can be regenerate but not saved. They're, they're, they're regenerate but not saved yet. So I would, so I would say process. that and so I'm asking only how. the elect are regenerated. And only the elect are saved, in my opinion. Right. So tell me how somebody can be regenerate and not saved. Well, when you're, when you're talking about saved, are you talking about prior to decision that they make? Or are you talking I'm about talking about saved from their sin. Forgiven. Qualified to go to heaven. Qualified to go to heaven. <laughs> but you're well, saved. I would say that they were saved at the cross. No, so you're saying, well, but... but uh, when well, they, used to, they were saved from all of eternity, actually. But. Yeah, I mean... But that's not true. So he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Sure he was, but you weren't been saved before the foundation of the world. You weren't even created unless you're mortal. I didn't know that I was. <laughs> right? You believe in, like, souls were no. eternal? Okay, certainly no. not. So... So check this out. No, I don't believe in spirit, baby. Right. right, right. <laughs> I don't so, spirit, baby. So when I, or let's let's take Dennis. You said uh, one of our episodes. You were eighteen when you got saved. Yes, correct. So when Dennis was sixteen, was he regenerate? I I don't know when he was regenerate. You can't know when that happens. It's a mystery. But you can know when you were saved. You can know. You can know when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Right, but you're saying you can be regenerate without that. I'm saying you have to be regenerate in order to do that. Right, so you you can be regenerate and not saved. Well, it, okay, when you use the word... <laughs> That's a logical okay, conclusion. No, saved yeah. is a past tense word. It depends on who are you asking. If you're asking the Lord, was Dennis saved before he was 18? In the Lord's opinion, yes, he was, because how, his how sins were paid for at the cross. Well, in the heart and mind of God, He's always known that. But right. As far as the but I'm saying, as, as far as your Christ. knowledge of being saved, okay. So it's the whole John three thing with Nicodemus, right? What must I, you know? You have to be born again, okay? Well, what does born again mean? It, essentially, it means it regenerated. And when He asked this question of what does it take to do that, the response that Jesus says is, "It's like the wind. You see the effects of it, but you don't see where it comes or where it goes." Yeah, but none of this is telling us that we can be regenerate and not saved. Right. But what I'm what I'm saying is is if you are dead in trespasses and sins, and if your will is enslaved to sin... Well, hang on. You're assuming quite a bit. You're assuming quite a does bit. Does the scripture say that we were dead in trespasses yes. and sins? Yes. What does death mean? Death means dead. Not alive. Right. So when you, Not when capable you, of action. So when you die, physically, yes. do you cease to exist? No. Certainly not. Right. You so are in a you different have to, You have to be realm. regenerated. You're in a different realm. Yeah. Death means separation. Yes. Right. Always. Biblically. Always. So when your spirit is separated from your body, that's death. That's physical death. Right. When your spirit when your soul is separated from God, that's spiritual death. Right. I would agree with that. So that doesn't mean that you can't respond. It doesn't mean that you're a paperweight 
how many people have ever raised themselves from the dead? Zero. Jesus, well, Jesus. Jesus yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then, why would we think any different spiritually? Well, again, we're not. Physical death doesn't mean uh, annihilation. Right. I, it means I would separation. Agree with that. It means separation. Hundred percent. Right. We're off on soteriology here. Yes, we, we are. We what I, but but the point that I'm making is is it makes a difference. It does because what I assume about the lost person in the community affects how I try to reach them. But but, but what you were just talking, there are no lost people that would eventually be saved. There are all there are only eternally saved people and eternally lost people. In the mind of God, yes, there's the the elect and the But no, you're saying the they're actually regenerate though. No, I I'm not saying that, that they're always regenerate. That's what you said. No, I'm I'm saying that they are regenerated by the spirit at an undisclosed time, but all of the elect will be regenerated. So that they can then exercise faith, right? Exactly. So, so, so here's the whole idea. The argument, the and, argument, and against, be saved. Yes. Okay, so the argument against Reformed theology is that well, you don't believe in free will. That's not true. All of the Reformed confessions talk about the freedom of the will. I just believe that until I am until I am regenerated, I am a slave to sin, as the Scripture says, which means my will sure. is enslaved. So, so the way that the, pro, the the process of salvation works like this: I am a slave to sin. I'm dead in trespasses and sins. Everything that I do is sin. You can present the gospel to me a hundred times and I will not recognize my own sin and I will not recognize the, the mercy of Jesus and I will not call out to him for salvation. But when the Holy Spirit regenerates me, he is liberating my will from slavery to sin. And with a free will, I then am able to see my own condition, see the Savior, and I call out to him for salvation. The difference between... My view and other views is that I believe that only the elect are regenerated. Whereas some views would say everybody's regenerated. Some people see their sin and see Jesus, but they still choose their sin. I believe if anybody truly sees their own sin and they truly see the grace of Jesus on the cross, they will come to him. Well, I think you just mischaracterized. If you were trying to characterize my view, that's certain. No, I'm, I'm saying there's other views in general. I'm not just yeah. talking specifically about you. Yeah. But I know, I know a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of Baptists that I've talked to, have this idea of the Spirit moves on every single person and some people still continue to choose to reject Christ. Sure. My understanding is, is that the Spirit only moves on the elect. So fundamentally, I think we would all agree that uh, our view of soteriology is going to have a great impact on our view of ministry and evangelism. And so to the degree that we think that people can be open to make choices, we're going to be more inclined to do things, even design worship services, to give people an opportunity where those choices could be made. In the view where you don't feel like that people can do that until there's this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be much more inclined to uh, design a service that is just for the elect that gather. The, the elect who are already regenerated. Yes. But not necessarily saved yet. They could be, they, it could be in that, con, in that gathering where they, will be where they respond for the first yes, time. Right, yes, right. yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, and, and to clarify, I'm not saying that we don't take that into account when we plan something. What I'm saying is, is that in, in my understanding, if that person is truly dead in sin, then the only way for that regeneration to happen is by the ordinary means of grace, which is basically preaching the gospel. So then the focus of Sunday morning is going to be on preaching, music, baptism in the Lord's Supper, those kind of fundamental things that most churches do. And that's the emphasis because I believe that's the means by which people truly are That'd be your emphasis converted. too, though, wouldn't it, have? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to talk about is like, again, going back to what I was saying is, 
are there lost people within there? Are there people who are, can receive the gospel and get come to know the Lord in that service? Absolutely. So what I'm saying is, why would you take something off the table? Now, let me let me throw this out there. You know, let's go back to old school New Spring, you know, playing Highway to Hell. Well, the thing about it is that got a ton of attention, right? But if you actually followed that up with his message, he used the it was almost like an illustration. He used the lyrics of the song to present the gospel. And people come to know the Lord. I think it goes back to what I was saying in terms of what is our primary mode of of trying to reach lost people. Like we always say, you don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I mean, what you're saying, trying to reach people, you're preaching a real gospel to them of they're a sinner, they need to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Somebody might throw you in a category with a church that's like, we don't really talk about sin. You know, we're not going to say anything that makes anybody uncomfortable. God God loves you. Like you don't have to do Zombie Marcion? Yeah, yeah, like Zombie Marcion. But, but the thing is, is uh, you know, it's easy to paint with a broad stroke. And that can go either way. You know, I could look at you and say, oh, well, you're doing this event in the community. You, you just must not, you must preach a watered-down gospel and just try to get, you know, every goat and everything else in there. <laughs> you know, but then at the same time, you could look at me and, well, you don't even believe in evangelism. You, you just think God's just going to save everybody on their own. And that's not true of me either. Right. And so... That's a character. Like we always try to do in the podcast is, you know, is there some differences in philosophy of ministry? Yes. At the same time, is there a word-by-word word order of service with hymn numbers in the book <laughs> of Acts? No. And so... There is some latitude and some flexibility there. The con- the cultural context and that kind of stuff that you're in does matter. And those are things that have to be taken into account. And so there can be different philosophies of ministry as long as the gospel is not different. Right. You know, And we would all agree on the gospel. And we've established that on the podcast already, that we all agree what the gospel is. And like you said, Dennis, even if we disagree on nuances, like things like regeneration and when does that happen, probably all of us can agree that that's a ministry to some extent. It's just more of how do we understand that. Um, but that's not going to change the fact that I'm telling people you need to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus for your salvation. If you haven't heard, uh, back, I think it was around 2005 maybe, uh, but a long time ago, that that Paige was talking about how do you deal with the matter of divorce in a situation where a woman has been abused. And uh, he gave an example from when he was in in the pastorate uh, where a woman you know, has been abused, and, and he talks about degrees and severity of abuse, which I think was, was probably not a very artful way to, uh, to state it. Uh, and so in this Me Too age uh, that we're hearing, um, uh, you know, people pounced on that. So then the other thing was he made a comment uh, that you can see the clip on YouTube if you'd care to, uh, where he's uh, discussing uh, about a teenage boy and his mama, and uh, you know the the teenage boy uh, obviously is attracted to uh, good-looking young teenage girls, and so when mama gets upset about that, uh, Dr. Patterson steps in and makes a statement uh, of the effect that uh, very, uh, obviously he noticed the uh, build of the uh, 16-year-old. And so I think the age of the girl and uh, the comments that were made were taken as crude, uh, objectifying the, the woman uh, and uh, the young lady. And so as a result of that, uh, I think we've uh, had quite a, uh, a tempest that has, uh, 
has descended upon Southern Baptist life. So what, how do you guys feel about that? What's your take on it? Uh, is is uh, Paige Patterson's uh, situation redeemable, uh, or should he just go? Uh, what, what do you think? What I see everyone agreeing on, on the Internet and, and elsewhere, is that obviously Dr. Patterson made some pretty significant contributions um, during the conservative resurgence, that he was kind of one of those pillars that stood up for the inerrancy of Scripture and refused to move and was willing to die on that hill. And obviously we're thankful for that, as we've talked about previously. One of the only reasons the Southern Baptist Convention has been able to avoid liberalism versus other mainline denominations is because of men like Dr. Patterson that stood up uh, for the Word of God and did what he did. Um, that being said, it seems like for many years now, the capital that was earned during the conservative resurgence has has been kind of used. That basically the conservative resurgence is, is kind of a, a card that can be played when you mess up. And so no matter how many times you mess up, you just pull out the I'm Paige Patterson from the conservative resurgence card and that just excuses whatever it is that you've done. When I was in St. Louis a couple of years ago for the uh, annual convention, um, the same situation happened. There was a brother that got up and voiced some concerns about one of the resolutions that was being made, and he basically stood up and said, I'm Paige Patterson, and that was the end of the conversation. Um, and didn't really make an argument or anything like that, but just the fact that he spoke against the issue as Paige Patterson was enough for the discussion to be over. And some of the accusations, particularly in Ed Stetzer's article, are that he's basically untouchable, um, and it was even evidenced in a in a Facebook group that I'm in where there were employees that were fired for sharing that article at Southwestern. And so it seems that there's some insecurity there in the sense of uh, anyone who wants to speak out against it or who wants to, to rise up and do something about it will be removed. While I think that he's made some great contributions, I think that Ed Stetcher makes a good point in his article of he needs to do the right thing for the convention again, which is to step down. And the reality is, even if he's totally justified and what he did, with him being as big of a figure as he is, it's still better for him to step down. Just based on the accusations, just based on the heat, just to get the heat off of the convention and and the slander that's coming against Southwestern and these other kind of things, it, it would be beneficial for the seminary and the denomination for him to just step down at this point. So, over the course of that many years of ministry... I know I've been at it for 40 years. If you go back and, and, and listen to everything I have ever said or taught or written or posted or texted or whatever, you're going to be able to uh, assemble uh, several things that you could use to indict me. So, so I guess I'm more concerned about the motivation. I don't agree with what he said. I don't like it. He could have said it better. Uh, but but what's the motivation behind the movement to get him out and and not and one thing that really troubles me you know I think his last statement his quote apology uh, was was good enough sufficient for me but I hear a lot of people that you know that's that's not not sufficient and and what's what's at the heart of that and that's just me well that it's weird you said that because I was reading up on all this today and, and and that was kind of I was understood what he like exactly what you said all the stuff that he said was was wrong 
but I'm like, there's got to be something. There's got to be something else. Like, I, there's got to be something, an underlying, and that's kind of where I was. I was left myself. Is is there's there's some kind of political? Maybe it's not. I think uh, it is. Maybe it's not, but I, I don't know what it is. So well, and I think even if there is a political component, which I mean, I don't know anyone's heart. Um, it does seem that way that there's maybe a swelling tide, and I think the reason I think that that could be part of it, um, Adam, is that. Like well, like both you, you and Dennis have said, uh, what he said, I would. That's not my opinion. I don't share his opinion. I think it was wrong. Um, but is that sufficient? You know, it seems to be um, disproportionate response to what he said. You know, like sort of a straining at a gnat to swallow a camel sort of situation. You know, um, so I don't. I, I don't know people's hearts behind that. I do. I do know. There's a couple of things I want to say about it. Number one, Ben, with what you said about the uh, you know people being fired for sharing an article and things like that, that's a problem, dude. Mm-hmm. That's a major problem. If that's going on, that, that's um, that, that we um, as as Christians in general and as Southern Baptists in particular, all four of us here. I realize not all of our podcast listeners are. Um, but I would imagine that if you're listening to our podcast, even if you're not Southern Baptist, that you would share this opinion as well. This is the danger of, of, uh, celebrity pastors Mm -hmm. that we become untouchable (laughs) and it's, it's, uh, man, that's a sin. We have to, we, it's a sin if we ourselves as pastors don't fight against that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I would say, Ben, with what you said, it's better for him to step down even if he's innocent. I think that's also a problem. Uh, I think there's a problematic uh, precedent to set. Um, like Dennis said, man, if you if you go parse things that I've said and, or written or whatever in the past, you're going to find something. And I think that having someone step down for that particular thing um, and, and it, you know something else maybe, even if they were innocent, is a really bad precedent. Uh, we look more like uh, political organizations than, than we do the church. Um, so that's a really bad uh, precedent to set. And I, like you said, Dennis, I don't, I don't know the heart behind that idea. So I can't speak to that, but I, can, I, do, I don't think it's wise. Um, so even if the motivation is good and righteous, um, and I don't think it's it's uh, wise. It may be an innocent motivation, but it's not, it wouldn't be a wise one. I don't mm-hmm. think. And, and and the whole thing about you know what he deals with in that matter of, of abuse and divorce again, it, that's not my perspective. I'll make that make that clear. Yeah, I disagree with that too. However, it seems to me like what he was trying to do was to take his convictions about marriage that he drew from his understanding of the Bible and apply them. In, in a particular uh, setting, and and we shouldn't, I think, necessarily disqualify someone because we disagree with them, because uh, they, depending on what it, what the issue. Well, is. right, yeah, right. Yeah, if sure. it's, yeah. So, so going, I mean, from my knowledge, why do you think you think he should step down based upon what you shared? You're asking Ben. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> it's not TV camera. I think part of it. So, for instance, here's here's the beginning of his apology. Uh, he says, pastoral ministry that occurred 54 years ago, repeated as an illustration in sermons on more than one occasion, 
as well as another sermon illustration used to explain the Hebrew word, have obviously been hurtful to women in several possible ways. I wish to apologize to every woman who has been wounded by anything I have said that was inappropriate or that lacked clarity. Um, and I think the way that some people have interpreted that is basically him starting from a defensive position as opposed to just saying what I said was wrong and I'm sorry. He's saying I've interpreted it the same way that everyone has interpreted it and you're offended by it and I'm sorry that you're offended. And so the way that people have interpreted that is, is he's not saying I'm sorry that I said it or that I don't think that way anymore. What he's saying is I'm sorry that you were offended by it. Yeah, that makes sense. And that bothers people. And the other thing is, is just in general, when he's been confronted about these things, for instance, another recent situation was uh, when one of the uh, preaching department professors retired, who was African American, um, the preaching department dressed up in what is associated with gang clothing, right. holding weapons, right. uh, and put that on Twitter, and that blew up all over Twitter as being very inappropriate and unbecoming of a seminary. Um, and that was also under his leadership. Now, of course, we understand that just because you're the leader of an institution doesn't mean that you support everything that happens there. We, we get that, especially as pastors. Um, but the reality is, is there's been a long string of incidents associated either with Southwestern or with Dr. Patterson. And in general, the response of that has not been repentance or I was wrong or I take back what I said, but it's been more of an idea of, I'm sorry that you're offended. Right. And, it sort of looks more political. Than and that's what's, yeah. And, and not only that, but considering the fact that his apology was issued after he was rebuked publicly by Stetzer, after all this kind of stuff blew up on the internet, obviously it wasn't concerning enough to him for him to have to address it immediately. It was concerning once people were signing petitions for him to be removed, etc., so now we've even got to the point now where uh, Steve Gaines has come out as the president of the SBC and said, I don't agree as the president of the SBC with the stuff that he's said and done. And if someone wanted to remove him, this is the process that they would need to go through legally in order to do that. So by doing that, he's not saying get rid of Dr. Patterson. He's saying there's a proper way to do this, which I think is appropriate the way that he said it. Not by mob. Not Yeah, yeah. not by mob, not by slandering people on the Internet, not by making unfounded claims, but we do have a, a process for doing things decently and in order in this situation. The sad thing is, is that it's even having to come to this, that it's even having to come this far. If we're not careful, we'll look more like the world in the way that we handle this than the church. And that and people are watching. That'll be a problem. The world, All the world needs is more ammo against the Southern Baptist Convention because we're, we are already, you know, the gay-hating, racist, you know, uh, Bible-thumping, legalistic denomination in the world's eyes because we've stood on biblical principles. So what they need is some ammo to show, oh, these guys, they're not really as spiritual as they say they are. They, they preach one thing and practice another thing. That's all they need is some hypocrisy to try to just tear us down. As you were talking uh, initially, uh, Ben, it's the old principle of change in your pocket. When you do good things in ministry or whatever, it's like you get change in your pocket. Uh, and you continue to accumulate that every time you do something good. When you do something bad or make a bad decision, you spend that change. And then when you get to the place to where your pocket's empty and you don't have any change, then you get changed. So I think that's probably where this is headed. I think Dr. Patterson has done 
a lot of wonderful things and is to be commended for them. And he's accumulated a lot of change, but he's been spending it. Yeah. And maybe this last thing, his pockets are empty, yeah. and, and that that means the change will take place. So we just need to be careful how we how we do exact, that. Exactly. 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 Okay. So we've had a, a, an interesting discussion. Uh, not exactly a Donnie Brook, but close to it. And uh, but nobody's bleeding. <laughs> and so uh, we hope you'll tune into the next exciting broadcast of uh, the Four Horse. Man. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina. Yeah.